Good morning. I don't remember all of their names, but two of the stars were Clint Eastwood and Levan Cleef. Starred in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. How many of you saw that? They showed that 50 years ago. I have two versions of this message this morning. The short version for those who have to leave within two minutes, and then I have the extended version. <laughs> so for those who have to leave quickly, let me give you the homework assignment. I'm going to read what's in the bulletin first. How does the world see you? What should be, in the, or what should be the Christian's demeanor in a world that is good, bad, and ugly? Is your attitude reflected in your faith and is it worth emulation? Those who have to live either physically or cognitively, here's your bonus answer to the question. Where you have faith, put a line through it in case you ask the question, what is that? Change it with something that you're more familiar with. Put face and then ask the question. Is your attitude reflected on your face? And is it worth emulation? I can't recall ever seeing a dancer who was sad. How many of you have seen one? Now, I don't mean that they were dancing and the dance was a sad dance, meaning like, that's sad. They could do better than that. That's different. I mean, the dancer was actually sad. Have you ever seen then on a person's face a sad look while they at the same time were laughing? Unless, of course, you've been watching the return of Batman and Joker had on a mask that may have been sad, but he was laughing behind that. Did you notice while we were greeting one another that some of you laughed, smiled loudly as you shook hands with persons near your seat? Why did you do that? Because it is expected of you to do so. You thought maybe if you didn't smile, then that would have been um, contradictory to your extended hand or your embrace. And so the smile was to reaffirm what your embrace was communicating. So you smile. I've even been told that some people even smile when they're taking a photograph. Um, they pose, and then there is a shot, a flash of light, and they smile. If it is held too long, it hurts. But people smile. The only time, Brother Ambrose, when I think people don't smile is if the police is taking the picture. Look, let me put the short version away, 
and asked those people to please revise their own faith if it is inconsistent as a Christian of what they believe God expects them to do. But let me ask you the question. If you are happy today and you know it, say amen. amen. If you are a Christian and you know it, say hallelujah. hallelujah. If you're looking good and you know it, tell your neighbor. Uh-huh. Vanity, vanity. <laughs> Question, who made this day? God. So how shall we live in it? Well, that's what the shepherd from Long Island, I mean, the shepherd from Bethlehem said. David said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I wonder whether or not you can say that with me this morning. Psalm 118, verse 24, what David says, This is the day that the Lord has You've done wonderful. The only thing with this is that your face didn't know you were saying it. Let's try this again, where your face is in sync with what you're saying. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Very good. Now, if God made this day, just to make sure some people are with me, if God made this day, say amen. amen. Uh-huh. What's this next one? If you believe God is good, say amen. amen. Well, if you believe God woke you up this morning, say amen. amen. If, believe, if you believe you have something good to give God thanks for, say amen. amen. If you believe God expects you to rejoice today, say amen. If you believe Satan sent you here this morning, say amen. amen. <laughs> if you love the Lord, say amen. amen. Wow. It is good for brothers and sisters <laughs> to come together. I believe that the most the happiest people should be Christian. Do you believe that? Say amen. amen. Well, this is indeed the day that the Lord has made. I will. Please join me and rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I don't know, but sometimes when you listen to the news or look on the television, sometimes the rejoicing seems to disappear because maybe you heard some bad news. And I believe that is constantly before us. There's bad news. I, I've been listening recently. I understand that there was a flood in Indonesia. Many persons have died, and some have not yet been recovered. That's bad news. I understand that there was a U.S. soldier who was killed in a roadside bomb in Iraq um, yesterday. I understand that two Israeli soldiers were also killed in the Gaza Strip area. I understand that in Arizona that there is about 4,200 um, acres of uh, forestry that's being burned because of a fire out of control. I understand that there were four people killed in the sudden Baghdad because somebody has detonated a car bomb. I understand that not too far from here, a 60-year-old lady was 
uh, succumbed, uh, I think, last night to a hit-and-run accident on her way from church on Friday. I understand that an 18-year-old from Andros on the docks, uh, I think yesterday, uh, was found with a had a handgun in the box that, uh, with live ammunition um, that he would have bought over here. That's bad news. I understand that two people were killed in a corporate airline as the airline crashed on the west coast of the U.S. I understand that three women from the detention center, two really, two women, um, who would have escaped some time ago, they were recaptured. For some people, that's good news. For the two ladies, <laughs> bad news. I understand that three ladies had a fight on a flight that had just taken off, I think, from JFK en route to, I think, San Diego. Uh, um, I think maybe not, maybe in the Caribbean island. But uh, there's bad news when you turn on your television or when you listen to the news report. So how can we in the midst of all of these bad news really rejoice and be glad in it? I don't know if you've seen anything ugly recently. All right? And please keep looking straight ahead. All right? But sometimes it feels like bad news and ugly news tends to outweigh what is good. And so in this world of ugliness and badness, it seems to develop this cesspool modality. How then can we ever genuinely rejoice? Or how can we ever, as Christians, genuinely laugh? I really believe that that's an interesting question. I believe also that people, because of the circumstances around them, People go into depression, and their once beautiful smile or their rich laughter tends to disappear. But I don't believe this should be the predicament of members of the incredible body of Christ. And so even though we are surrounded and sometimes affected by what the world or what appears to be in the world something bad and ugly, I think we supposed to be different. I like what Chuck Swindle said once, and I quote, he said, the Christian is a weird sort, let's face it. We are earthlings, yet the Bible says we are citizens of heaven. This world may not be our home, but it is our residence. Furthermore, we are to live in the world, but we are not to be of the world. And since joy is one of our distinctives, laughter is appropriate, even though we are surrounded by all manner of wrong and wickedness. That's why I really firmly believe that those who are firm in their faith can indeed rejoice and even laugh in the presence of tragedy. About two weeks ago, I went to purchase a product from one of our local business places. 
I wasn't aware that this business place closed during the middle of the day for lunch break. And so I got there a little early. And so while I was waiting, there was a young lady sitting down reading the Bible, and she had a notebook. I looked on curiously and was going over to ask her, understand this with thy readers? But I wanted to find out an appropriate intro into this, uh, what I saw being done. And just before I had the opportunity to do that, there was this other lady who came walking straight over to where I was. She stood up. You may have seen her around town. She keeps her head high. She wears her something on her head. And it's covered most of her eyes. It's difficult to tell what she's, can she see. But she came up to me and she says, what do you have for me? I looked, I don't smile. And she repeated the question. What do you have for me? I said, what do you think? She said, well, what's the point of you being here? I looked at the lady who was near me reading the Bible. So I, I, I smiled at her. Then I looked back at this other lady. And I said, you need to tell me why are you here? She said, well, of course, because you are here. What do you have for me? I thought, and then I said, this same lady who, tell me, what do you think of this lady who was talking to someone who was invisible? What do you think of those people? You don't think. What if she told me she heard sounds that I didn't hear? I hear that. Is she crazy, eh? Um, what if she said, not only did she see things that I thought was invisible, and she heard things that I couldn't hear? Obviously, and she's, she's very polite, mind you. And then she smiled. You know, and I told her, well, I, whoever told you that I had something for you, there must have been a communication break because they haven't told me <laughs> yet to give it to you. But I waited, and I, I thought about this, you know. As, as Christians, this is how it says. Listen to what um, A.W. Tozer said in his book, The Root of Righteousness. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he has not or never seen. Talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so that he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, is richest when he is poorest, and happiest when he feels worst. He dies so that he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passeth knowledge. Is that descriptive of Christians? Sees and hears. Are we crazy? No. But this is certainly very descriptive of who we are as Christians. And I say, wow, 
Now, in light of the complexity of the Christian life and the condition of our world, isn't it odd or strange that God chose not to immediately transport us to heaven at the moment of our conversion? I wonder what kind of strange strategy could he have in mind leaving earth-bound people nailed down to this hell-bound earth? Well, let's eavesdrop on some of the things Jesus said that it might help us to answer this question. He's the one who says, yes, we could have inner peace in the midst of pressure and pain, in the midst of bad and ugly. Look with me then at John, St. John's Gospel, chapter 16. Let's read a few verses here. St. John, chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, and then I'm going to ask you to do a little skip to Malu after that. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. These are the words recorded there in Scripture for us. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus is the speaker here, that you may be kept, that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. Wow. Look at the last verse, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulations, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Wow. Did, did, you, did, did you get that? Jesus does not want us to stumble due to the tribulations that we will encounter in this world. Some of us will even be killed by those who think they are serving God by killing us. I think it is clear from this passage and from personal experience by most of you, if not all of you, that Christians are not supernaturally protected from the onslaught of the horrors and of the multiplicity of aches and pains of living here in Nassau, New Providence, the Bahamas, the world at large. But do you know of any Christian or any member of the incredible body of Christ who have been unfairly treated, who have been assaulted, robbed, raped, murdered? Indeed. Christians can face even financial reversal. In other words, Christians could be broke. Christians can be abused, neglected, and even divorced by uncaring mates. And the list of ugliness and badness. Well now, how in the world can a Christian be expected to be joyful? Again, I think the answer is in Jesus' own words because he promises that deep within he will give us peace, unexplainable, 
illogical inner peace. And sometimes when you exercise this peace in the midst of your tribulation, it is misunderstood by others. And sometimes it is even offensive to them. It doesn't mean that always when there is something wrong, you have to go marching with a placard or signing a petition. But if you don't, people tend to look at you cockeyed. Something wrong with you if you don't seem to jump on the bandwagon. And so if your excitement is similar to one of our public radio announcers who recent, some time ago, during the straw market fire, <laughs> uh -huh, who says, I can feel the heat. You know, there's pandemonium down here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's very exciting. If you don't seem to act excited in the midst of tragedy, somebody says something wrong with you. Even in the midst of death, some people seem to have been able to tap into that inner peace. And I, I think of my own mother during uh, about four or five years ago when my dad died, who seemed to be the very personification of inner peace. And I, I firmly believe that she was able to tap into this inner peace that only Jesus Christ provides. Look with me in the gospel, still here in the gospel of John. Look at chapter 17. Look at what is said in verses 11 through 15. And listen to what Jesus is saying here. Chapter 17, verses 11 through 15. And I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to thee. Holy Father, keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. End of that passage. Please look again. Look again at the last statement. This is the world, mind you, that is contaminated with violence of every sort, abuses, greed, selfishness, and disorder. How can we remain happy and you know it, say amen, in a world like this? How can God realistically expect us to ever be able to truly laugh or rejoice on this planet? Here is the answer. He has given us the shield of his protective power to steer us free from the contamination. In other words, we are kept or insulated by God's power, but not isolated from life in the real world. I believe 
God loves variety, Brother Bradshaw. Don't you? Look at your neighbor. And your neighbor looks exactly like you. Isn't that true? Each of us are unique in many ways. And as there is no two fingers on our hands are exactly alike, no two members of the incredible body of Christ are exactly alike. I, I recall when I talk about Han, our sister Brenda, who normally says, smile with me. Sister Brenda says that our knees, just like the fingers on our hands, are all different. So are our knees. Well, I believe also. So is the fingers on your hands are all different. So are each individual member of the incredible body of Christ. Look again at the same chapter. Look at verse 16 and 17 there of chapter 17. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Look at verse 21. That they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. Look at verse 23. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me, and it is love them even as thou didst love me. End of verse 23. Our world is going to hell, and there is nothing we can do about it, right? Can't. Wrong answer. Stop, look, listen, and think about this. It is easy to overlook a person who is at peace when you are gripped by panic. It is very difficult to overlook a person or an individual who is six feet tall standing in the midst of midgets. It's very difficult to overlook a lit candle in a dark room. It is very difficult to overlook an oasis in a desert. It is very difficult to overlook laughter or rejoicing which otherwise may have been considered a tragedy. This strategy then, it seems, that God has devised, I just think it's absolutely ingenious that the Lord would do this, that he would keep these heaven-bound people in the midst of this world that is considered to be bad and ugly because he has a strategy. Let me read verse 21 and 23 again. That they may all that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity. God has a strategy. I say again that it is ingenious. Look again at those verses in chapter 17. Jesus wants his unique member of his body to be united as one. I suspect there is strength in unity. I am sure my one finger cannot do as much work 
as all of my fingers, just even the symbol of it, raising a fist suggests that there is unity and power. When somebody raises a finger, it just irritates you. <laughs> you know, it does not intimidate you. Yeah, get out of my face, you know. But there is indeed unity. When we come together and stay together as united members of the incredible body of Christ, do you think that the world noticed that? I think they do. Yes, I really believe that. What a fantastic strategy this is that the Lord has put in place. Then do you see then any reason now why you and I should remain joyfully united under the authority and under the majesty of our King Jesus? You don't see it. Do you see any reason why we should not join the bandwagon of being bad and ugly? Do you think there's reason for you to really rejoice and be glad today and every day that God gives you? God has a strategy in place. Would you come with me then as we conclude and let's look at, let's go over to Philippi and let's look over the shoulders of the Christians there as they read a letter from our brother Paul. You please, you won't find Philippi like that on your head in your Bible. So if you look at Philippians, it might help. These Christians who live in the metropolis of Philippi were peaceful people. These were strong people. These were joyful people, people who laughed, people who were firm in their faith, people who were insulated by the power of God, who were marching to another drumbeat, not the drumbeat of the world. In Philippians then chapter 3 verses 17 all the way down to the end of that chapter and stopping at the first verse in the next chapter I want to read that and then make a closing comment. Philippians chapter 3 verse 17. Brethren join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many war, of whom I often told you, and now I tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown. So stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. End of the reading. I, I noticed four things from this passage that I believe that we should be aware of while we wait for his majesty to return. While we wait in this world that has some good but seem to be predominantly bad and ugly. The first thing I notice is 
Brethren, join in following my example. I believe we need good examples today as Christians. Good examples to follow. Good examples. Who is your example? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. Paul reminds young Timothy, his child in the faith. He reminds him of some of those qualities that we should look for in those who we seek to model our lives after. He says, watch out for what they teach. Watch their purpose. You must be an example then in these areas, in your teaching, your purpose, your love, your conduct, your patience, and your persecution. How well are you doing in these areas? Can someone honestly reflect Christ by imitating you if they model their faith after yours or their conduct or their love? How do they stand up under persecution? What is it that you teach by the things you say and the life you live? How is your patience? Are you short-tempered, impatient, I say again, brothers, join in following my example and observe those who, I like those, it means that there's more than one. We should not just follow one individual. So I like what Paul is saying. He's suggesting that there are others who might be around you that is worthy of emulation. And those who walk, I like walk, because it means that you're going at a steady pace. Some people want to sprint through their Christian life you know, and miss some things. Those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And then I look at the other thing. The first thing I said is we need a good example. Secondly, we live among many who are enemies of the cross. That is indeed true. That's bad. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. Do you know that not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, really loves the Lord? They are indeed enemies of the cross. And they have some things, you know. They, have a, they, they do have a God. It's their appetite. Their end, of course, is destruction. They do have some glory. It's called their shame. And they do have a mind. And they set it on certain things, but they do so on earthly things. And we told to do the opposite. Watch out, therefore, who you follow as an example. And be aware that we do have enemies among us who may be not might be, who are enemies of the cross. And so don't be easily persuaded by those who may have a strong personality in their presentation, whether that's on radio, in person, or on television. Look for those traits that Paul mentioned to Timothy. Thirdly, we belong to those who are bound for heaven. I don't know what that does for you when you think about that, but when you're in the midst of your tribulation, and you reflect that, hey, this too shall pass, this is not the end. Shouldn't that, if you start smiling even from the inside, shouldn't that change your perspective? That, hey, this is just my temporary residence. I am a child of heaven. My citizenship is in heaven. 
And so please do not get too riveted to this place. We belong to those who are bound for heaven. That is always a cause to rejoice. And finally, we must stand firm. But while we are standing firm, we are not to stand still. We need to be about our Father's business. I repeat, we need a good example to follow. We are to be reminded that we live among those who, many of those who are enemies of the cross and that we belong to those who are heaven-bound and we must stand firm, even in the midst of a world that is ugly and bad. I believe sincerely with all my heart that God has devised a plan to change this bad, ugly world. But he has done, he's chosen to do that through you and through me. So I suggest that you come and I invite you to come with me and let's do it. Let's be united as one, not to be swayed by the circumstances of our lives, but let us be, go forward as we march to the master drummer, Jesus Christ himself. Let us rejoice and let us be glad. Let us laugh because this is today that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now say it with me one more time. This is today that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to ask you a very hard question as I conclude. Let's see if you can do it for me. Please stand. I'm going to sing. And you won't hear me, but I'm going to ask you to sing with me. This is a song that they sang when people were shorter in the past. It's called, If You're Happy and You Know It, Say Something. What'd you say? Now, Brother Antoine, if I go off cue, don't worry about it. I don't worry, so let's sing. Anyway, let's do it. Ready? How do you do this? Jumpstart the song. If you're very good. Stop, stop. That you started well. But remember now, don't send conflicting messages. If you're really happy, let me see it. Okay, let's try it again. <clears throat> if you're happy and you know it, say amen. amen. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. amen. If you're happy and you know it and your life is short. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. Amen. Wonderful. May God bless you today and always. Thank you.